Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. If you're a fan of moving fossil fuels from one place to another, this was a really, really bad week for you. On this episode of Parts Per Billion, we unpack the flood of news from the oil and gas pipeline industry and try to figure out what it means. Hello and welcome back yet again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So there are slow news weeks, there are fast news weeks, and then there's this week. It's only half over, and we've already had three huge developments happen with oil and gas pipelines, each of which could have dominated the news cycle on their own. Within hours of each other, two federal court rulings came down that crippled two of the biggest pipelines, the Dakota Access and the Keystone XL, both in the upper Midwest. But just the day before, a big energy partnership announced it would give up its plans to build a third big project, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. The purpose of all three of these pipelines is, of course, to quickly and efficiently transport lots of oil and natural gas from wells to refineries and power plants. You can see these pipeline projects as a natural extension of the shale boom that transformed the U.S. energy 10 or so years ago. After all, what good is it to extract way more oil and gas out of the ground if you can't get it where it needs to go? But for pipelines, this week was really bad. Were the timing of these three developments coincidental? Maybe. But you could make a strong case that there's much larger forces driving this, from an aggressive legal strategy by environmentalists to the rock-bottom fuel prices we're seeing in the time of COVID. And here to make that case is a familiar voice to listeners of this podcast, Bloomberg Law reporter Ellen M. Gilmer. She covered all of this torrent of news, And she started off by explaining what happened with the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. So the Atlantic Coast Pipeline would deliver natural gas from West Virginia, where there's a lot of uh, shale fields where they use fracking and horizontal drilling to get gas out. Uh, And it would deliver gas to Virginia and North Carolina. It's backed by Dominion Energy and Duke Energy. And it's been in the works for... Oh, probably six or seven years, maybe longer. Well, and the interesting thing is that this was supposed to go to cross the Appalachian Trail, a famous uh, national park um, that runs along the Appalachian Mountains. And you actually went out there to visit the site where it would go underneath the, <laughs> well, the trail. Well, exercise. <laughs> That's right. Some people go to gyms. We go to the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> Can you talk about why that was significant? So it was significant because of, uh, you know, you just called the Appalachian Trail a national park, and and it is uh, administered by the National Park Service and considered a park unit, but it kind of has this unique status, and that was really at the heart of all of this 
um, there was a lot of litigation over whether it could cross under the trail, and if so, which agency had authority to approve. Boiling it down even more, it was like, is the Appalachian Trail land, and, and is that land under the National Park Service? What is, what is the definition of land? Yeah, does that mean it's it's under the Forest Service's jurisdiction? So anyway, it was this whole mess that, that went all the way to the Supreme Court this term. And uh, the Supreme Court recently ruled on that case, and uh, it sounds like the pipeline companies won. They did. Yeah, the the uh, pipeline companies won, and the Trump administration won uh, in that case. Um, but it, it wasn't enough to save the pipeline. Right. That's why I, I was so... Con- well, I guess confused and surprised when I saw the your story because I thought they just won this big case all the way at the Supreme Court and then a few weeks later they cancel the pipeline they were they were fighting to build. What 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 was that about? It was pretty crazy to watch with the timing because Atlantic Coast did spend all of this time uh fighting for this pipeline, fighting in court, fighting all these various battles about land and different permits. And they fought all the way up to the Supreme Court. They hired, you know, Paul Clement to argue their case, one of the best lawyers in the business. If that entire trail is construed to be National Park Service land that can't have a pipeline go through it, I mean, that's a huge barrier to pipelines up and down the entire East Coast. And they won, but the at the end of the day, that was just one small permitting issue. I mean, obviously it was big enough to reach the Supreme Court, but it was just one discrete permitting issue among this whole universe of other permitting issues they were facing. Litigation that's happening, that, that was uh, happening at the same time, focusing on other approvals for the pipeline. There was some litigation about other pipelines that had an effect on their project. And there was just so much uncertainty uh, that it it was a business decision at the end of the day. It just wasn't worth, um, in their view, it wasn't worth the continued investment. Well, speaking of other pipelines, let's move to another part of the country and another pipeline that is actually already built. Uh, This is the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, And there was also news this week on uh, that pipeline, actually pretty big news. Tell me about, uh, first off, where this pipeline is and what it was supposed to do. So Dakota Access goes from North Dakota to Illinois. Uh, it moves oil uh, from North Dakota shale fields uh, to a big oil hub in Illinois. And it's it's in service. It's built. It's been moving oil for three years. Um, but you might remember uh, it was the subject of just huge protests. Oh, I remember. Yeah, it was the end of the Obama administration, and thousands of people descended on uh, this area just outside of the Standing Rock Indian Reservation in North Dakota to protest this pipeline and to demonstrate, and they camped out there for months. Um, A lot of indigenous uh, advocates uh, and environmental activists and all um, different opponents to the pipeline. Ultimately, the the pipeline was built, um, but it's been it's been in active litigation. And then what happened this week? So this week, uh, after all of that, um, along the way, uh, there have been several court decisions against the pipeline, but they haven't gone so far as to shut it down. That all changed on Monday when the district court in D.C., federal district court in D.C., ordered the pipeline to shut down, and it gave Dakota Access 30 days to do it. 30 days? 30 days, August 5th. What were the grounds that the D.C. court used to 
to say why this pipeline had to be this already built pipeline had to be shut down within 30 days. The judge found um, and the judge actually reached this conclusion several months ago, but was still deciding what the consequences should be. So the judge found that the Army Corps, uh, which is a federal agency that approved a key permit for the pipeline to cross a big waterway in North Dakota, um, the judge found that the Army Corps didn't adequately consider all the environmental impacts, um, especially the oil spill risk and how that would affect all of the tribes that are downstream. Again, this pipeline, it crosses this part of uh, the Missouri River, this dammed section that's called Lake Oahe. It's about, it crosses about a half a mile uh, north of the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. Um, so the Standing Rock Sioux are right there. The Cheyenne River Sioux and other Sioux tribes are downstream. So they were all in court um, working to shut down the pipeline, arguing that the Army Corps didn't properly consider all those potential impacts. And in the end, that's that's what the judge agreed. Now, this is a, a lower court judge. Uh, I guess the company could appeal this to the, the circuit court or, again, even the Supreme Court. But do you think they'll do that? Absolutely. Yes. And and they've been pretty outspoken about their plans to do that. It's already the appeal is already in motion. Uh as we as we speak here on July 8th, Energy Transfer is the company that's behind Dakota Access, and it has already launched an appeal. It's asking the district court to freeze its decision while that process plays out. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see just a lot of papers flying back and forth in court. And if Energy Transfer isn't successful at either of those levels, you're right, they um could we could very well see them bringing that question up to the Supreme Court to to avert a shutdown. So and finally, we're we're not done yet. Let's go to a third uh, pipeline here. Uh, the probably this is very arguable, but I guess maybe the most famous pipeline, Keystone XL. There was news on that this week. What what happened with the Keystone XL pipeline? Keystone XL is is a really big one. I'm not sure if Keystone XL or Dakota Access is more widely known. It's a tough call. I don't me either. Let's call them tied for the most famous pipelines. A lot of people who don't aren't in the weeds on pipelines the way uh, we are actually just fuse the two pipelines together and, and think they're kind of one project, which is understandable to get them mixed up because there's just been so much news about both of them over the years. So Keystone XL um, would move from Canada down into the U.S., crossing through like Montana, Nebraska. So the big difference between Dakota Access and Keystone XL is that Keystone XL is not built. Uh, it's been stuck in litigation and permitting issues for years. The Obama administration decided not to grant a permit for the pipeline. The Trump administration changed course. Uh, this one judge in Montana in March ruled that uh, one of the programs that was used, one of the permitting programs that was used to approve Keystone XL uh, wasn't in compliance with the Endangered Species Act. So he, the, this judge in Montana, vacated that whole program, which means he, he suspended the program and said... Uh, this program can't be used to permit Keystone XL or actually any other new oil and gas pipeline across the country. So there's an appeal happening in the Ninth Circuit right now. And in the meantime, uh, the pipeline company TC Energy went up to the Supreme Court and said, like, you've got to stop this. All these other oil and gas interests also went up to the Supreme Court. And basically, they're just saying, like, we, we need we need to have these permits like the, the you can't 
a judge can't vacate a, an agency's entire permitting regime. Yeah, that was essentially the argument. And so Monday night, you know, a few hours after this, all this Dakota access drama happened from the district court, the Supreme Court decided to weigh in on Keystone XL, and it said Keystone XL's permit is still frozen. So that about covers this week's news. When we come back, we'll talk with Ellen about, well, what all this means. Why is this happening now? And what does COVID have to do with all of this? Stay tuned. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. All right, we're back and we're talking with Ellen M. Gilmer, a Bloomberg Law reporter, about some major setbacks the pipeline industry suffered this week. If you were listening closely, you might have noticed a trend. A lot of these setbacks were the result of environmentalists suing the federal agencies that grant companies permits to build these pipelines. Ellen says that's exactly by design. Litigation against oil and gas pipelines pipelines has... Uh has grown just dramatically in the past probably five years. Uh, You've seen this really sophisticated, coordinated effort um, by people in the environmental community, but partnering with people uh, in the indigenous community and also a lot of landowners who are pushing back. Um, You know, we're seeing this huge expansion of fossil fuel infrastructure in part because of on the natural gas side because of the shale boom um, and in part on the oil side as well. Um, And so you saw environmentalists realizing that they, you know, had an opportunity to, to stop these projects if they went to court to litigate every single permit. Um, so that's kind of what they did. That's, that's so interesting. They're, they're not, the, it seems like the environmentalists are not attacking the, the drilling and the fracking where it's happening. They're attacking the transporting of that, those resources from the place where they were drilled to the place where they're needed, I guess. They're definitely still um, litigating on the actual oil and gas production side the extraction side yeah Yeah. so they're they're definitely like filing lawsuits to try to prevent especially oil and gas development on public lands because that's where they really have some permits that they can challenge um or leasing decisions and things like that but pipelines are where they've they've made um really big strides in their in their kind of legal strategy over the years i'll say yeah so and again just to emphasize like the atlantic coast case they they pulled the plug on that pipeline as a business decision so it wasn't 
directly, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a court decision that, that shut down that pipeline, but um, it was definitely this huge buildup over the years of all this different legal uncertainty. Well, that actually perfectly segues into my last question, which is we're, we're in a different environment now. This is like a new planet that we're on post-COVID, where the price of fossil fuels is at a rock bottom. And it seems like you know, the, the energy companies were able and maybe willing to fight these lawsuits and to, you know, wage years-long litigation battles when the price of oil was pretty high. Uh, that's not the case anymore. And we saw with the Atlantic Coast Pipeline that, you know, it's just, it's a business decision. As you said, it's the, the price is so low that it's not worth it to build these pipelines. Do you think that that is going to play a bigger factor than than the litigation itself? Or do you think it's going to be a a mix of, you know, projects getting tied up in litigation plus the market being so depressed? I think it's a mix. You still have these giant companies that are fully committed to building out their empires um, and they want to move these fossil fuel products. There are companies whose whole focus is building midstream infrastructure, and they're not just going to go away. They're still going to try to do their thing. And in some cases, they're going to be able to do so successfully, um, but they just are doing it in this new world of, of increased litigation on federal and state permits, and they're going to have to you know, choose their routes carefully and uh, calculate and build in extra time, um, understanding that some permits and stuff may end up delayed um, through courts. And they're going to continue to pressure the Trump administration to streamline this permitting process, which the Trump administration has already made a lot of efforts to do. So they're going to continue to push on that um, while at the same time making sure that the agency approvals are supported enough that they are going to hold up in court. So it's kind of this delicate balance of streamlining the process without streamlining it so much that it doesn't hold up in court. That was Bloomberg Law's Ellen M. Gilmer, and that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check out our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergenvironment.com. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, along with Josh Block. Special help today came from Anna Yukonanov. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. The music for today's episode is A Message by Jazar and Back Porch Blues by Richard Myhill. They were used under a Creative Commons license. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hi, I'm Laura Carlson, and I'm dropping into your feed to tell you about Prognosis, a new daily show from Bloomberg. Monday through Friday, we'll spend a few minutes with you every afternoon to help you understand life in the time of COVID-19. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So come back every afternoon for our coverage and stay safe. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford... We don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.